Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty Vest. And I'm Mark Wood. This season on SageCast, we're talking with a variety of Pomona College faculty members about how they came to study what they study, teach what they teach, and love the field they love. Today, we're talking with Grammy-nominated pianist and professor of music, Genevieve Lee, who has taught and mentored budding Pomona College musicians since 1994. Welcome, Genevieve. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, let's start with your musical path. Um, can you trace back your love of classical music in general and the piano in particular uh, to its earliest days? Well, I know that I started taking lessons at four, and according to my parents, I wanted to play piano. So they weren't the one; they weren't the instigators, and so they decided to invest in a, a little Yamaha console. And they found a neighborhood teacher, and I started taking lessons. And she was just a neighborhood teacher. And at some point, I think four years later, she said to my parents, "I think your daughter should move on to somebody else." And um, so they found another teacher, and I learned some bad habits and things. But, you know, I'd always liked playing the piano. It wasn't uh, something my parents made me do. So they didn't um, have to, to force you to go do your practicing each no, day? No, I think I just did a little bit each day. And I think my, my dad was always encouraging me to, like, look at the next page in the book. So, <laughs> you know, like I, I would look ahead, and um, I was pretty ob- obedient. <laughs> so I think music was just, it was, lessons were part of my life, but I wasn't really serious about it until we moved around um, as a kid. And then when we moved to Pennsylvania, I started studying with um, a woman who taught at the Peabody Conservatory mm-hmm. and also in the prep. And she was the one who I think had, you know, plans for me, <laughs> unbeknownst to the rest of us. And so she was sort of slightly nudging me towards um, you know, auditioning for music conservatories um, when I was in high school and, and thinking about what I was going to do. Because all along I was thinking, oh, I like math. I like science. I'm going to do something um, along that line. And I had relatives who were doctors. So you could have ended doctors. up as a chemist instead of a pianist. Huh? Yeah, or no, I think I wanted to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> 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 Although I was a little kid, I wanted to be an architect I didn't know the <laughs> correct word. So, um, but yeah, I didn't wasn't really being pushed towards music. And then suddenly there I was auditioning for music schools in my senior year. And my parents were supportive. And then I ended up going to Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I think I was very lucky because I think I had no idea that I would love doing music mm-hmm. so much. Um, but when I got there, I was surrounded by other people who seemed to know so much more than I did. And I mean, I was very intimidated. Um, but those were also the good old days where I remember my roommate had lots of music and we would like get together and listen to music. Students, we'd, friends would get together. Music was a communal activity. Mm-hmm. So it turned out that it was the right path for me. And um, so I was lucky. I think if I had come to a place like Pomona, I would have just been really confused. I mean, I liked this and like that. And uh, but Too yeah. many choices. Too many choices, exactly. <laughs> oh. So it was by default. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that helped you. That I, right, that helped me. And mm-hmm. the music. Um, you said that your parents didn't force you, but were they uh, musicians themselves? No, or? not at okay. all. Not yeah, all. they okay. just appreciated music. And okay. And how did you, did you hear it? And where was it that, that drew you to piano? Yeah, I don't you, know. I don't yeah. remember. Mm-hmm. Right. I, uh, I was four. That's, mm-hmm. all I, that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to remember what you were thinking <laughs> when you were four, right? right? <laughs> uh, so 
when was your first I, I mean this may be hard even to define what was what would be your first performance public performance did you give recitals as a child did you I was but, probably participating in like group um, recitals with my teacher probably um, we moved from Racine Wisconsin to Madison so I remember in Madison when I was maybe nine or ten doing some performing mm -hmm. there, but mm -hmm. not really, not a strong, strong memory. Actually, um, I have stronger memories of playing violin in public school orchestra. <laughs> ah, so you're also a violinist. I, oh, barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about uh, your first real uh, concert? Well, I guess that was when I was uh, in Pennsylvania and played with an orchestra for the first time. Mm -hmm. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. It was a Mozart concerto. So that was mm -hmm. that was exciting. How old were you? Uh, I must have been 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, first time with a with an orchestra. With the local York, Pennsylvania orchestra. And what do you remember about that? Were you intimidated? Were you... Um, well, I think I've always gotten nervous for performances. Mm -hmm. So I remember being nervous. I also remember that I think I had a slight cough and I was... Playing the second movement and trying not to cough. <laughs> you know, really concentrating, trying yeah. not to cough. Yeah, those little things that the, <laughs> the audience doesn't things. know about, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but you, you said you started music early on when, when you were four and, and uh, were kind of guided through that path. But when did you know that you wanted to do music for, that, that music was what you wanted to do with your life? I think probably... After I was at a conservatory, mm -hmm. I think uh, my parents always said, well, you know, if you go to music school, you, you know, you're young enough, you always change your mind <laughs> later, mm -hmm. go do something That's else. very wise advice. Um, so it turned out that I think, yeah, when I was in uh, Peabody, I just realized this is, this is great. I mean, um, I was, like I said, intimidated, but also inspired by all the really mm -hmm. good pianists and musicians around me. I think I probably learned more from my peers in a way than my mm -hmm. teachers. So that's when I felt like, yeah, this is this is the right path. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. really know where it was going to go. I think I had no idea what I was going to do mm -hmm. in music. Mm -hmm. I mean, teaching was very far from my mind because I, I was a pretty shy kid. Yeah. So I was very quiet and, you know, I was not student ever to like raise my hand in class. <laughs> so you didn't imagine yourself in on a stage in front of, of uh, well, a big crowd. Playing was different. Performing is different. Yeah. I think it's a, mm. it's a different mind so. space. Yeah. Um, well, I think when I, when I used to perform, I used to just come on stage and just try to ignore the audience, um, like not look out. And then I could just concentrate on what I was doing. But since I've been here at Pomona, um, I've been much more interested in like actually reaching out and talking to the audience um, mm -hmm. during my concerts, mm -hmm. solo concerts. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, sometimes it's hard to switch gears yeah. uh, mm -hmm. from talking and then suddenly you have to sit down and play the piano. Right. Yeah. But I think uh, that's different because I'm not, I think I was not always comfortable talking in front of a group. Mm -hmm. So that's why, like I said, I was shy, didn't like to speak up in class. Um, but playing the piano is different. I'm not talking. I'm just playing piano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, what other pianists have inspired you? Do you have um, piano idol, living or dead? I actually admire a lot of pianists. I think when I was um, young, before going to college, my teacher, her teacher was um, the Spanish pianist, um, Alicia de la Rocha. And I got to play with her for her, for her 
once. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a wonderful yeah. role model. But um, these days, yeah, I like a lot of different pianists. In fact, last night I just heard Yuja Wong play with the L.A. Phil, where she premiered a new John Adams piece. I'm, you know, I think she's terrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. a superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And talking about your idols, what what's the difference? What makes a very good pianist from a great pianist, according to according to you? Uh, I'm much more impressed with um, sort of artistic risks or somebody who's really compelling. Um, I may not agree with everything that person is doing. I mean, Glenn Gould is a really good example. He's a very eccentric player, and sometimes mm-hmm. I really don't like it, but. Sometimes I think, well, I don't necessarily like everything, but it's so interesting <laughs> what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that um, much more fulfilling than somebody who just has uh, technical fireworks. I mean, yeah. it's impressive. I, I mean, I can admire it. It's sort of like an athlete. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that there's you know artistic merit in, in, for athletes too, but I can't always notice those details. But in musicians... I'm looking for somebody who really has something to say. Right. So uh, there's the difference between the sort of technical proficiency and the artistic merit. Right. And that's why I try to really encourage my students, too, to really, you mm-hmm. know, you got to, like, say something. Because if you're afraid and you're just trying to play a piece correctly and then you make a mistake, that's worse because, you know, you're already not saying anything and then you make a mistake. But if you're <laughs> if you're taking a risk and trying to express something— And then you make a mistake. No one will care because they're listening for the overall, you know, what you're trying to say to them. You yeah. play the the piano, the mm-hmm. harpsichord, uh, toy bit. piano, <laughs> keyboard, electronics. Do you have a favorite? Well, piano is my main instrument, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> harpsichord is something uh, that I was not interested in as a student. Um, I think uh, at that point, recordings of harpsichord playing was uh, always seemed... Kind of grating to my ears, and mm-hmm. and so uh, and I didn't have a lot of experience like with live instruments. But um, over the years, I've had to do a little bit of playing at the harpsichord in in a large ensemble, and grew interested in 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 the actually learning how to play the instrument. So I always felt like I was faking it because it's a very different action. Um, you don't have uh, the same tools and uh, toolbox as you do at the piano. You have to deal with uh, questions of articulation and timing rather than like loudness, dynamics. Mm -hmm. So I decided to take some workshops at the University of Michigan over the summer and and was just astounded by the harpsichord repertoire. Because in school, you know, we learn about piano repertoire, which only goes back a certain ways. And we talk about Bach and Handel, maybe Scarlatti, those three composers. But there were so many other composers writing for the harpsichord Mm -hmm. and... uh, I was just blown away by that, by that music. So I enjoy playing the harpsichord, but there's just it's hard to find time to practice that and piano. And toy piano is just a it's a it's, it's a novelty. <laughs> yeah, <that is> kind <laughs> I think of that I think that composers who are always searching for new sounds, yeah, you know, they're and they're looking for um, new ways to to manipulate sound. And the toy piano has become. A little bit of a, I think, more trendy these days. <laughs> and writing especially for, I think, toy piano and electronics because then you have mm-hmm. other sounds to, to deal with. You know, so it's not just a toy piano. Although <laughs> there are toy piano solo pieces. And John Cage was one of the first people to, to oh. write uh, a suite for toy piano. Really? Now, 
there are toy pianos and toy pianos, I would guess. What kind of a toy piano do you play it's on? It's really just a toy piano. It's really just a toy piano? Yeah. I think I ordered it from Amazon. <laughs> Shunhut is the main brand. It's really a toy piano. It comes in a box with the colored, you know. Mm -hmm keyboard to teach kids and there's a toddler on the box. We're going to have to bring you back and play for us. Yeah. Yes. I have three in my office upstairs. Mm -hmm. Kind of along those lines, um, you said before that you like to find music that challenges you, challenges mm -hmm. you to go outside your comfort zone. Uh, what type of music pushes your limits as a performer? Well, I develop a, an interest in new music and contemporary music when I was an undergraduate because I had friends who were composers. And of course, if you have friends, then you want to play your friends' works. Mm -hmm. So as I went through school, I continued, you know, being interested in, in new music and, uh, and still do. So, you know, I still have friends who are composers and, and, and I really believe in playing new music because not everything is going to survive the test of time, but it has to be played and it has to be out there. In terms of challenging myself, um, I mean, I think of that on a lot of different levels. So, you know, playing harpsichord was a big challenge too, because I still feel like I'm just faking when I play the harpsichord. You're a pianist playing the harpsichord. Right, I'm a pianist playing the harpsichord. <laughs> I would never call myself a harpsichordist. So there are those kinds of challenges or pieces that I find intimidating, technical, technically intimidating or musically intimidating. Um, in terms of going outside the box, though, I have explored pieces that... Um, one um, seminal piece of the piano repertoire is a piece called De Profundis by uh, Frederick Zhevsky. And he takes a text from Oscar Wilde's book, De Profundis. Mm -hmm. And it's a very moving part at the end of um, his time in, in prison. And uh, this piece involves um, playing the piano traditionally, speaking almost the entire time, and... Making certain gestures and noises that go along with ex express the text. So, for example, wow. um, there's a part where I'm actually like hitting myself to for 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 effect for this you know that enhances the text. Talk about performance. Wow. Huh? Yeah. Talk about performance. Talk about <laughs> performance art and piano and acting, and right. Yeah, right? So. You know, I had always been, you know, fascinated by that piece. And I thought, well, if I can do that piece, then, you know, I can just break through that boundary a little bit. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, so I've now I've done other pieces that involve other things. So another piece um, was by, is by a Chinese composer. And that involved toy piano, toy instruments, and text in Chinese in a sort of, Peking opera style. <laughs> wow. So that was, it was fun, but challenging at the, at the, at the same time. Mm -hmm. So like learning different kinds of instruments and integrating, you know, everything together. How do you select the pieces for your repertoire, your own repertoire? Yeah, that's a good question. There's just so, we're so lucky. We have so much music. Um, student was just asking me yesterday, so what's on your next solo recital? I said, well, I'm not sure yet because I'm waiting. Actually, I'm waiting to see whether a friend is going to finish a piece for me. So if that is finished, then, then I sort of think about what goes together on the program. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I like to have a contrast of uh, pieces, but at the same time, maybe some kind of thread running through the, through the program, mm -hmm. um, at least for me. And maybe it's not an obvious 
theme to the right. audience, but mm-hmm. it has to like make sense for me because if I'm switching gears, it has to be something that I can understand myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are pieces along the way. Sometimes when I'm teaching a piece, I think, well, why haven't I played this? I should I should learn this piece. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind of all over the place. I think mm-hmm. it depends on what I've heard recently, or maybe it's a piece that it's been on my mind for many, many years, and maybe I just haven't, it's not the right time to approach it. And mm-hmm. so a lot of different factors. Genevieve, is there a sound or a certain voice to your playing that you've developed as your own? Oh, that's another deep question. I remember when I was a graduate student, um, my teacher, Boris Berman, who was actually here last year, um, performing with the orchestra and giving a recital. Mm-hmm. He was a very important, you know, mentor for me. Um, I had many uh, kind of a soul-searching, you know, kind of lesson where he was trying to get me to think about do I have a voice? Because um, I was used to being a very kind of uh, sort of obedient student, mm-hmm. where you know I, I do what I'm told, and you know, okay, I'm gonna you know improve in the ways that you're telling me to do it. But um, it wasn't really until graduate school that I well, no, I, there, I was doing some things also as an undergraduate. It was, it was developing, but not to the point where somebody was really saying to me, okay, you have to find your voice. You have to find figure out what you're trying to say because if you, if you figure out what you're trying to say then I can help you do it. My teacher can help me do it. So um, I don't think that I have one particular voice. I mean, um, I know that I think a lot about color at the Mm. keyboard. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. you may think, oh, a piano sounds the same in a way, the timbre is the same, but there really is a whole world out there of of color and with pedal. And and so I, I think I tend to like certain kinds of music that Mm -hmm. gives me that chance to explore color. So for example, a lot of French music. Um, Mm. I mean, there's color in every kind of piece. It's not that it doesn't exist in Bach or Beethoven, but um, it's especially uh, detailed in something like Debussy or Ravel. And tell us about color. How do you, how do you see color in music? Um, I guess it's the the way you hear the tone, um, and I don't know the exact physics of it, but mm-hmm. you can hit the note at the piano, and and it can sound pretty ugly, or it can sound uh, full and strong, or it can sound delicate, or it could sound just really wimpy. Sometimes um, <laughs> I tell a student, you know, your soft sound has to also have some sort of core to it, you know, otherwise it kind of sounds like you're talking. This, you know, there's just, it's not projecting. You know, you can be very, you know, talking quietly, but also, you know, if you're really angry at someone, right? Like you make them listen. (laughs) Uh uh So, yeah, so I think in the piano sound, you have to find ways physically to get the color that you want. Mm -hmm. And it's, most of the time, it's probably rather subtle, but um, I feel like when all the pieces are in place for me in a piece and, and you can really control the color, then that'll be clear then to the listener. So the listener doesn't have to be, you know, educated in the sense that they're noticing every single detail. But I feel like if most things are kind of in place, then it'll transform into, you know, a whole message. I wish we could have uh, done this interview over a piano so you could show us. <laughs> this <laughs> but, is wimpy. But unfortunately, 
the studio. And there's no piano in here. We could have um, put a toy piano in here. Yeah, oh, we know the colors are pretty limited the there. Pretty limited on a toy piano, right? Do you have a favorite composer? Is is that just a dumb question? No, it's not. I get asked that a lot. I, I um, and I think uh, I've thought about more Desert Island. You know. Pieces. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I could probably talk a little bit more about Desert Island pieces, but I don't have a particular... On Desert I, Island with a piano and you have to... Yeah. Desert Island. Well, no, I guess uh, pieces more like what I would listen to. What you would listen what to. What I would okay, listen yeah. to on a desert. Like if I only had 10... CDs and there was a CD player, you know, the old yeah. fashioned. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that question, actually. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't, have, yeah, I don't have a favorite composer. I think I just like too many, you know, yeah. too many composers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genevieve, you have, um, as, as you say, you, you like new music um, and you have premi- premiered and commissioned uh, numerous works. Can you tell us about some of those projects? Well, uh, the piece that I'm um, waiting for actually is by composer Kurt Rohde, who is my one of my oldest friends. In fact, he's probably the person I would credit with getting me interested in new music because he was my friend as an undergraduate and he's a violist and we play together in a group. And so I thought, well, I want to play a piece written by you, Kurt. So I did at that point. And he's um, quite a successful composer. He teaches at uh, UC Davis um, and he's written pieces for me over the years because mm-hmm. uh, I really, you know, believe in his voice. And it's not always the same. He likes to experiment too. In fact, I think he heard me play the toy piano with these little toy instruments. And uh, there was a little tiny Chinese um, paper accordion and he just loved that sound. <laughs> so he started using that accordion in, in, in pieces that, you know, that he wrote for me, but also for other people. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Very cool. Now you perform both solo and in ensembles. Mm-hmm. Um, how are they different? And uh, do, do they inform each other? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I couldn't do one without the other. Mm. Um, I mean, chamber music, that repertoire is also just so amazing. There's just so much out there. And I love um, the camaraderie, playing with people that you really like. Um, and with musicians that, uh, who also teach me, you know, about sound and like working together. Um, so yeah, I love doing, uh, chair music and I've been lucky to be able to do, to learn a lot of repertoire through this, my association with this, um, Garth Newell Music Center in Virginia. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's such great repertoire in, um, for the solo pianist too. And so it's sometimes it's a relief to, to go back and say, okay, I can just make all the decisions myself. Because <laughs> in a group, you know, you, you yeah. sometimes you make compromises, but, mm-hmm. but you have to also convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. So you come mm-hmm. up with the best group decision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's also some comfort in, in being on stage with, with a bunch of people. Sure. Um, but, you know, there is something about also like just, you know, it's, it's up to you and you, you're responsible for, for everything. Do you prefer one over the other? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talking about performance, um, how do you prepare for for your performances, and in particular, how do you develop your own interpretation of a piece? Well, if um, if I'm playing more standard repertoire, and I know that I'm going to be playing it memorized, um, I usually I I know that I need plenty of time to to learn it because I. And this is also something I learned in graduate school to learn a piece and memorize it 
at the same time so that the learning processes are integrated mm -hmm. and not separate. Because I used to just play a piece and at some point you play it long enough, it sort of becomes memorized. Like you mm -hmm. think, oh, osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> but these days I find it, it's much more solid if I can get the memory portion of it done early, like front loading. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. it also makes me think a lot more about what's going on in the piece, patterns, um, understanding the structure, understanding the harmony. So then as I'm thinking about it, I think it depends on whether it's a piece that I've known about for a while. So you might have already um, come up with ideas or it's a piece that I've taught. And, and I think, oh, what if I were to play it? I might do this or that, mm -hmm. but it takes a while and it's always evolving. I mean, yeah. that's also the fun part is um, if you relearn a piece, sometimes it's good to try not to recreate what you did before, but to try to sure. think about it again. Um, I also, when I get to a certain stage, I do listen to other people to get ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes listening to somebody you don't like is even more informative because you decide, oh, okay, that's what I don't want to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's um, the right path. Or sometimes you hear a really good idea and you think, oh, let me try it. Well, I just can't quite make it work. So you, yeah. even if it's a great idea and you want to imitate it, mm -hmm. you still mm -hmm. have to make it your own because right. only mm -hmm. I can make it convincing. <laughs> yeah. Um, You've performed uh, uh, internationally, uh, both solo and ensembles. Um, are there any performances that stand out as memorable to you? Oh, let me think about that one. Um, I think it's a, it's always a, a surprise when you are in a different venue and different different audiences. Um, and then I think more recently, because I do like to talk to the audience, it's uh, it feels a more removed when you're in a foreign country because you can't really right. communicate yeah. in the same way. So then you become more of just the sort of traditional pianist who just plays a recital and then leaves. <laughs> um, but uh, I can't think of one particular. <laughs> Which are some internationally, so so people are familiar where where you have performed and what countries and what venues. Well, uh, I think more recently when I was more associated with this uh, chamber group in, at Garth Newell, we played in Croatia and did some concerts at a local music school mm -hmm. um, with, um, I think there were high school students mainly. And it wasn't a you know, fancy venue, but it was a very appreciative kind of audience. Yeah. And... Uh, also, um, very nice um, colleagues, you know, faculty colleagues that we we met there too. Mm -hmm. So, do you have a favorite venue that you've played in? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same. It's like they're not all the same, but it's it's, it's like since we always have to switch pianos too. So the, I think sometimes remembering what. <laughs> I don't remember what piano mm -hmm. is the best. You just deal with what's there and then yeah. make the best of it and, and move and on. And have you had pianos that you really didn't like? Yeah, there are always things that sometimes you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. um, if a piano is a little bit dead and you're trying to make it speak, that can be mm -hmm. hard. Um, or if the venue is really too live, 
You know, mm-hmm. if you're playing in a church or something, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just too hard to hear what's going on because everything's swirling around you. Yeah. Um, makes me very appreciative of our facility, you know, bridges <laughs> here. Yeah. But. You you said earlier that you you'd still get a little nervous when when you I'm always when nervous you, when you perform. <laughs> so do you have stage fright too? Like does that you, with all these years of performing yes. and teaching music? So? I do. It never goes away. I mean, I think I'm always a little bit nervous. Even if we had a piano here and I had to play a few notes, I'd be nervous. I think it's just a maybe it's just part of my <laughs> genetic makeup. Do you think that it, it helps you with your performance also? It does to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it does. There is a little bit of adrenaline. Um, I think I just know that it will be there. It will always be there. I will always be nervous. And it, to a certain extent, sometimes it manifests itself in different ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel fine right before the concert. And then you walk on stage and suddenly, you know, you you have a little mental slip at the beginning of a piece and you get much more nervous or you get more comfortable as you're on stage. Um Yeah, it really, it really depends. I all the only constant is knowing that I'll be nervous, and then, <laughs> um, and there are things I do when I'm nervous that I know that I can try to mitigate, but it doesn't always work. <laughs> you were talking about how you prepare. Um, how long does that take? Uh, how much rehearsal does it take to prepare for a concert? Or and can you over prepare? Is there an ideal? <laughs> I don't ever feel I'm over prepared. <laughs> it never happens. It depends on the piece and um, whether I've played it before and the difficulty of the piece. If I'm starting a solo program for the fall, I guess I usually like to make sure, as I said, with um, memorization, like feeling solid, like starting early summer or late spring. Mm-hmm. Um, And then for new music, because you're using the music, it's a different kind of um, knowing the piece. I think you never quite know it as well because it isn't memorized, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just impossible to put that time into it. I don't have that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know some people do mm-hmm. still perform, you know, huge, you know, contemporary pieces yeah. by memory. Um, you're a founding member of the Mojave Trio. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that group, how that came about? Well, Maggie and Sarah Parkins are twin sisters, and Maggie and I, I think, moved out to the West Coast around the same time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, Maggie and Sarah grew up playing together quite a bit, even though they didn't go to the same schools. And then Sarah ended up coming out to the L.A. area because she joined the Angels Quartet right before they won a Grammy for their recording of the complete Haydn quartets. So when Sarah moved out here, I think Maggie um, said, well, we should start a trio. We should start playing together. So we've continued for the past, I don't know, how many years has it been? Probably at least 15, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Um, well, you mentioned um, the Grammy. Uh, your Uh, recording of Tom Flaherty's Air Dancing for Toy Piano, Piano, and Electronics was nominated for a Grammy in 2015 in three categories. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project and your involvement in it? Well, that's a it was a fun project because it involved my playing the toy piano on this piece. <laughs> <laughs> the CD also contained another two piano piece, so I was also playing the normal piano. Mm-hmm. Um But I love Tom's works. Um, he, he always writes works that I think are 
interesting and challenging for the performers, but not like over the top that we can't enjoy it at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you're not so worried about all these um, technical things that you just can't play your part. So um, I think this is probably the first time a Grammy has been uh, a nomination for somebody playing the toy piano. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I should a be first. proud of that or, um, <laughs> but. We think you should. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was quite surreal. Uh -huh. um, you the, may hold that the, record the, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, is there an ultimate goal as a pianist that you have? Is there like a Mount Everest that you can climb as a pianist? Uh, probably not. I feel like you never quite get mm -hmm. there. Um, I think there might be sort of pieces that I might consider like Mount Everest. Yeah. That, 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 well, What's your Mount Everest? What, what pieces would be your Mount Everest? Uh, right now, um, it would be the Bach Goldberg variations. I have this fantasy of doing it, uh, playing it on piano and on harpsichord. So doing a performance of the piece twice <laughs> in one concert. Um, but I, yeah. Is that Mount Doesn't Everest coming that, anytime this, soon? Or? I keep, t I've been talking about this, but I have not made any moves toward it so far, but you know, possibly. You gotta get you some claiming gear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, if you've had the choice between it's I I assume there was there was some consideration consideration at some point of just being a concert pianist or were you always thinking I'm also going to be an academic? I um, think um, I think yeah. When you're young, you just have this idea. I mean, I had no idea about careers and music, but you just think, oh yeah, I'm going to be a concert pianist and just play concerts. Um, and then at some point, you realize, well, even all the Famous people that you know I look up to, or my teachers—they're not <laughs> just playing. I mean, also that's, teaching, that's, uh -huh. right? That's really unusual. Um, so when I finished graduate school, I think I wasn't quite certain what I was going to do. Um, there's also the path of being more or less a freelancer, and you know, pounding the pavement, and you know, maybe doing private teaching and, and trying to get gigs and. I was trying to think about, oh, what would, what would be good cities to move to that might be sort of up and coming? Like, I wouldn't want to move to New York and try to break into a scene, but maybe there'd be a city like Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. you know, with a budding scene mm -hmm. um, and perhaps in new music. So I was thinking about that. And I think that applying for teaching jobs was kind of like a path. It was at least something you could do that was concrete. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that and was very lucky to get a position, uh, kind of a sabbatical replacement position at Bucknell University in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. So then I was there for two years and, and then discovered that I liked, and it was just my first, that was my first experience with a liberal arts college too. Uh -huh. So, you know, I learned a little bit about the kinds of students and um, sort of the philosophy of, of, you know, the liberal arts. And discovered that I really liked it. So mm -hmm. then I just continued, you know, that was a temporary position. And then I got another job uh, at SUNY Potsdam, which was also kind of a temporary position at the time. So then I just continued to apply for jobs and ended up at Pomona. <laughs> Very nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about your courses. Um, are there any particulars that are your favorites to teach and why? Well, 
of course, I teach piano all the time and um, every semester with uh, sometimes continuing students or new students. That mm -hmm. So I think because I do that the most, that's probably the most fulfilling. But I also enjoy being in the classroom. And so I do teach some uh, oral skills in what we call our musicianship labs. And occasionally I've taught um, fundamentals theory course mm -hmm. and once in a while a music history course, sometimes an upper upper division sort of performance oriented course. And I also coach chamber music. So you, you studied at a conservatory mm -hmm. and um, you chose to teach at a liberal arts college. Why? And tell us about the difference between the two. Well, I think um, when I first went to Bucknell, I, as I said, I had no idea what a liberal arts college was really like. Um, and then I think coming to Pomona was just sort of serendipitous uh, that I got the position. Um, I think that I've been very happy here teaching students who aren't, um, most of them are not going on to, to make a career in music. Uh, and I actually think that's okay. <laughs> you know, there are plenty of other schools who are producing students. Um, but I, I sort of feel like I'm teaching our audience, our future audience, because we actually need more people in the audience than we do need mm. pianists mm -hmm. in the in the real world. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I love my music major students too. So you know, mm -hmm. not not saying that, but but I think in general, I think it has been wonderful to sort of think about how am I teaching somebody who's going to keep music in his or her life, you know, mm -hmm. and and stay engaged with music because hopefully, you know, the people I teach are going to. You know, even if they're not taking lessons, and most of them are not going to be taking lessons, but they'll retain some love of music, support music, or maybe still play a little bit casually. Mm -hmm. You know, I say it's always good to find other people who play because if you can play together in an ensemble, that'll keep you playing. Right. You know, if you find somebody you like to work with, you can like read things together or, you know, play, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. pieces just for fun. Um, I have been teaching the last couple of summers at a place called um, Bennington um, Chamber Music Conference. And it's a place where amateur musicians go and play chamber music. Mm. And I'm there to coach them. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like these are, you know, our students who grow up <laughs> and, you know, are in their in the midst of, some people are, you know, early in their career, some people are mid-career, some people are retired but they retain a love for music and chamber music and they go to this, like, it's like going to camp yeah. and, mm -hmm. and, and they love it. And they're just soaking everything, you know, it's chamber in. music, ch camp, chamber music, camp, <laughs> chamber music, fantasy camp. Yeah. For one week or two weeks, or I think there are, f there are four possible weeks. So that's very cool. Um, talking about your specific on your music majors, um, what's your approach on mentoring and coaching them if they do want to pursue a career in performance? Um, it's very much, uh, you know, based on what each person wants to do and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's going to be best for that particular person. Um, often it's trying to figure out what teacher is going to be best for them with, as they go on to graduate school and what kind of program. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're lucky that, you know, we have just a few majors and so we can really tailor, you know, courses or I can tailor, you know, the things I'm 
teaching and offer maybe an independent study. I had a student who just graduated last year who started graduate school and we did, you know, independent study on, on repertoire because that's something you just don't get here. It's so specific mm -hmm. that you can't, I can't just offer a course on that and expect to fill up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, so um, are the things you know now as a, as a pianist that you wish you'd known when you were in college? I think I probably would have learned more repertoire, I think, as a, as a student, even though I th think I thought I was learning a lot of music, but I think not enough. It's never enough. And I think whatever you learn as a student, you really retain so much better than uh -huh. something I learned last week. I mean, it's probably just like the aging brain, but, um, and also the distractions of, of life. Yeah. yeah. But I think when you're a student and I, you know, my teacher told me this, um, but I think I didn't quite believe him or <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that information. He said, yes, when, you know, anything past 26 years old, you're really, you know, not going to remember as well. <laughs> so, but now, it. but now, yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, he's, he's right. <laughs> he's right. I should have learned, you know, way more music, I think, back then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you when you're in school, you're concentrating on maybe a recital program. You're concentrating on really learning how to perfect pieces. And that's important, too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how, how I would have found the right balance, but... I do wish, yeah, that I would have just learned more so that I have, you know, more pieces to draw from my past. Because I'm, I'm the type of person, too, here at Pomona, when I give a solo recital, I'm always trying to learn something. It's always a new program. Mm -hmm. So in terms of challenges, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, I don't pull back old pieces, even though there's plenty of great pieces I should probably relearn. Mm -hmm. But... You know, I'm always looking at the next next shiny object <laughs> <laughs> because life is short. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you've been a Pomona since 94. Mm -hmm. um, how has your experience of teaching music evolved? I think that there's been a good consistency over the years mm -hmm. um, with students. I know that the, the college, you know, I feel like has evolved in, in – in good ways. But um, I think the teaching of music, I think uh, the accessibility of um, online recordings and also online scores, that's mm. that's one thing, you know, sort of technologically. I can just look up something online and we can spit it out and print it out. Mm. Um, I mean, I still like to have buy music, but I, but I do the same thing. Sometimes I'll look something up. So those kinds of things and, and just the ease of being able to record something and then send it to the student or the student records it just on his or her phone, hmm. a lesson or something, and then yeah. has that information right there. Um, I think it, it was not that it wasn't possible back then. It was just that the technology is so easy to use these days. Um, and it can be used. I can look up somebody's recital. You just played on a recital yesterday. Well, let's look it up and let's, we can review it and talk about what went well and what could be done better the next time. So those kinds of things. But in terms of what I teach, I think in the classroom, um, I guess in the studio, it's pretty old fashioned. I mean, we're pressing down little pieces of wood, really. <laughs> it's an acoustic <laughs> instrument. Uh -huh. yeah. You know, certain, you know, physical things don't change about the body. It's not like our bodies are different than mm -hmm. they used to be. We're not bionic yet. Right, we're not bionic yet. <laughs> 
Uh, in the American education system, K, K through 12, music's become kind of an afterthought. Do you, do you have any recommendations for parents who are you know, thinking about the musical education of their kids? Yeah, that actually has been something we've seen, I think, in our department, um, with the decimation of, you know, music in schools in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and we noticed that, uh, you know, you you find students who are applying from places that do have music programs, you find them, oh, they have, there's, there's more of them. Um, I think it's difficult for parents if there, there isn't anything in the public system. Um, but I think there usually are community schools out there. And um, I know that there have been student groups here who've tried to um, organize kind of a music mentoring program for local kids. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that there are resources out there. It's probably just, it's hard for, if a parent has no connection with, I think, a sort of a, a music person, then that's difficult. But I think just mm-hmm. to like keep asking around because I think through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. It's it's tough. I don't have a, I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. As far as uh, music that you listen for enjoyment, uh, what is currently on your playlist? Is it all classical or are there types of music or styles of music that you enjoy? And do you have any recommendations for us to, <laughs> yeah, to listen to? Yeah, consider this your desert island <laughs> Oh, desert island question. That's easier to answer than what's on my current playlist. I think, um, yeah, I can't keep up with um, the pop music world that's out there. I mean, sometimes I, I do have KCRW on my in my car, and so... Uh, I have to say, sometimes I enjoy the Henry Rollins show, <laughs> just kind of mm-hmm. out there on 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 Sundays. But um, but the Desert Island question—that's a little bit easier to answer because <laughs> there are there are pieces that I think haven't fallen off that list. So you were asking me about favorite composers before. Um, I think Brahms has always been up there, although there are certain. And Brahms B flat piano concerto mm-hmm. has been one of my favorites all my life. Bach Goldberg variations, my Mount, Mount Everest, Everest. Uh-huh. Mount Everest piece, mm-hmm. Schubert um, cello quintet. So that's also my Desert Island pieces. So those those three are kind of I think the top three right now. But you know, there is just so much. Uh, maybe Beethoven seven. I uh, when, whenever I teach a Beethoven sonata, I just I love it because it's every every move he makes. It's like astounding his craftsmanship or just his uh, sometimes his irreverence. You know, the, the, the surprise that you know he puts puts in. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves making this effect where I, I kind of call it um, like hitting a pillow because he'll have you go along and you're getting louder and suddenly you hit a subito, a sudden piano, a sudden soft, and you, you're going along and suddenly you have to be really soft. And that's a um, typical Beethoven effect, mm-hmm. and uh, but just his his skill at at manipulating motives. Mm-hmm. Same with Bach. I mean, that's another one that I just it's endless <laughs> what he can do. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap this up. Our thanks to Genevieve Lee, um, the Everett S. Olive Professor of Piano and Chamber Music. Well, thank you very much. Um, Thanks, Thanks, Genevieve. It's been fun talking to you. 
And to all who've stuck with us this far, we have a reward for you, an excerpt from a live performance from Genevieve Lee. 